Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. My brand new book, Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth, is now available. So much more than a book, this is a guide that allows me to hold your hand through your birth preparation journey. With over a decade of experience and knowledge packed in to ensure you really are empowered in the way you deserve to achieve a positive birth, regardless of the twists and turns that crop up. Make sure that you get your hands on Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth Book now and are empowered to have the birth experience that you deserve. Hello, I'm Pip and welcome to the Midwife Pip podcast, the home of expert information and real chats on all things pregnancy, birth and beyond. Planning a pregnancy or trying to conceive can come in so many different shapes and sizes. For some, it's a relatively smooth journey and for others, there can be many twists and turns to navigate. However the path to pregnancy may look for you, exploring ways to optimize your chances of conceiving and to improve the health of your pregnancy and growing baby has huge benefits for all. I'm super excited for this week's guest, leading obstetrician and gynecologist seen on ITV's This Morning as resident fertility expert, Dr. Larissa Corder, to talk about her 12-week conception plan. The conception plan is a science-backed, holistic plan to overhaul your health and well-being and to optimize your chances of a successful and healthy pregnancy. And Dr. Larissa has recently published her book, The Conception Plan. So if you're on a trying to conceive journey or planning a baby in your future, make sure you read this expert information. So welcome and thank you so much for joining me today because I know this morning has been a slightly chaotic one for you. (laughs) Yeah, to say the least. But as you say, as healthcare professionals, we sort of, we get used to it, don't we? And and we we make it happen somehow. So... (laughs) Thank we goodness, we thrive and I, in chaos, don't we? And we do, we do. <laughs> I think it's part of our wiring now, isn't it? Um, but I am I'm equally excited. And thank you so much for, for having me on um, to speak with your viewers and with yourself. Oh, no, I'm delighted. Now, I need to jump straight in with you because I know <laughs> what everyone listening is thinking. And that is, what led you to develop the conception plan? Because some people may have seen it because I know you spoke about it on this morning. Um, for others, they may not have heard of it before. So please tell us all. Mm. So there's a couple of major reasons as to why I felt the need to write something that on the whole, I feel addresses the whole situation of how to get pregnant fairly differently to to what's out there. So there are so many brilliant books which are already available and which cover this genre and which I've certainly, you know, in the past come across and read myself. Um, But I was really keen on focusing on some of the points of difference. And for me, one of the major reasons why I, I came up with the conception plan and wrote it is because I started recognizing that a lot of the time patients tend to outsource a lot of their power when it comes to conception. So this goes on in particular within the world of IVF um, and assisted reproductive technologies, which is something I've I've trained in. And, um, you know, I've I've certainly seen many patients cross that route. And, you know, as as a practice in itself, of course, it's this wonderful, incredible technological feat that's allowed so many people to start their own families. And sometimes it is the only option and means of having a family. So I am totally a supporter of of practices that that do do that. But what I started to have um, a bit of an issue with and what I started to see happening was, was the sort of consciousness behind 
some of these practices and not just with assisted reproductive technologies, but just generally in terms of outsourcing that power to whether it was medication, whether it was, you know, a new fix it kind of approach. And it didn't really make much sense to me because every time I'd talk to patients and clients, it became really obvious to me that the answers were sort of within themselves and not necessarily some of these other things. And yes, they could help at a certain point in time, but there were an awful lot of unanswered questions for me. And this whole concept of unexplained infertility, which is probably the most frustrating diagnosis that anyone can get. So, you know, around a third of people get told that apparently there isn't an explanation for why they can't get pregnant. And to me, that's just not uh, not only unacceptable, but also nonsensical. Because I in my experience, certainly what I've seen with people who may have been diagnosed as that elsewhere is that when you look hard enough, though the traditional medical techniques might not have identified some of these causes, almost inevitably, there is always a reason. It's just that we haven't necessarily searched for it. And that reason is often, you know, with with the patient. So I think what's really important is to draw attention towards what I would really call empowerment. So bringing that focus back to the self, understanding that actually, you know, it's the answers lie within us and it is down to us to try and change some of the trajectories, the medical and health trajectories that, you know, we might find ourselves on. And that actually the, the basis of so much health and disease can be put down to lots of different aspects. Um, when you look in more detail at someone's life and what's going on for them, in particular, when you look at things, you know, that actually most doctors, most traditional doctors don't necessarily pay any attention to, which is, you know, what was um, what was your relationship like with with your parents? Um, you know, what kind of childhood did you have? What sort of situations did you go through in life? What level of trauma did you experience as a result of that trauma? Such a big thing. And that's what draws me onto the second part of why I wrote this book, which is that the, the traditional allopathic medical approach, and I think you'll probably agree with this as well, um, Pip, is that, you know, it's very fragmented. Mm. And it is all about, you know, it dissociates the mind from the rest of the body. And, you know, it's very rare that we as traditional doctors really ask very much about people's mental health and emotional health. And yet it's so pivotal and it's so crucial when it comes to finding some of those answers that I've just been talking about. Um, and, you know, it's really important that we dig deeper, that we try and understand what's going on for a patient because, you know, the body and mind communicate and there is no way that if something is going on, you know, below your, your head, that it isn't connected in some way to what's also going on with the brain and with the mind. And, you know, the mind is a much wider concept than we used to think of. We used to assign the mind only and purely to the brain. But actually, in my book, I argue that the mind is something that, you know, is embodied by every cell of our bodies, because we now have the research and the science to point to the fact that actually our cells are capable of storing memories, conveying really important information, communicating with every single organ in our body. And so it's this, I really think of the body as this finely tuned symphony of all sorts of different messages, whether they're biochemical, whether they're energetic, um, whether they're hormonal, going on within us and and the whole of us, not just fragmented parts of us. And we need to start looking at people through this multi-systemic holistic approach, rather than just purely focusing on, let's say, their reproductive organs if they're struggling to get pregnant, because there's so much more to it than that. And, you know, as I always say, the brain is probably one of the most important reproductive organs that there is. Yet everyone always attributes that to, to the ovaries and, and to the womb or, or testicles. So, so those are the main reasons, I guess, um, I, I felt the need to write something that, that was quite different and that would contribute to this already, you know, um, expanding area of, 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 a, of a genre and topic because the struggle to conceive is very real and so many people suffer with this. It's just not talked about anywhere near enough, um, you know, one in seven couples, heterosexual couples, 
struggle to become pregnant. And, you know, that number is huge and it's expanding and it isn't just down to age because we see this across the board with younger age groups. And I'm sure you've probably come across that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I love, I absolutely love and really appreciate as a as a medical professional, the holistic approach that you're taking to conception and that putting that power back in the hands of that couple and that woman's body. Because I think, I think over the years, probably over the last generation or two or, or maybe even three, I think generally in the pregnant space or trying to conceive space, we've really really lost that a little bit and we're just starting to have these conversations where we give that empowerment back to the women and i love that actually you're stripping that back to before you even got pregnant so we already start that journey with an empowered person which then leads so beautifully onto those following steps of their journey through pregnancy through birth through the postpartum period so it really sets you up in that place of kind of capability and I think as women we've we've lost that quite a lot and like you say become really reliant on there must be a problem therefore fix me with a medical route and giving that over to a practitioner rather than taking some of that in yourself yeah exactly that I love what you've just said and and it you know the two are absolutely interrelated preconception conception and then what happens whilst you're pregnant during your labor postnatally and I'd argue even in the menopause you know the preconception period is something we've never ever paid much attention to I think at most most people regard preconception as taking a bunch of vitamins right and that's what everyone's been told although really it's folate we should be methylated folate we should be taking that's a whole other conversation. Um, so, um, you know, the that's what most people come to know and understand about the preconception period. So it's really minimized. It tends to be sidelined in health. And yet, if you look at all the science behind it, it is probably the most pivotal point when it comes to your health because it sets the stage for everything else that follows that. For you and your child, life. right? Like it's not yes. even just for you, it's for the baby's adult. Totally. And, and exactly that. And that's why it's so important that you pay the, the necessary dues and attention that are really important at this stage of your life because it it does affect you and it will absolutely inevitably affect your child. So the conception plan is really about birthing not just a healthy child, but also the healthiest version of yourself Mm -hmm. from that point on. And I think that's something that most people aren't aware of. And there hasn't been the education around that as well. And, you know, as, as you point out, most people have been made to feel wholly deficient in themselves. You know, they've learned to rely on so many other things that they've been told to do, which, you know, are often sometimes actually, you know, quite expensive things which which are outsourced. And, you know, sometimes, yes, they can provide some answers and assistance, but, but actually, you know, as I've said before, that the first point of call should really be with the self. And, you know, patients need to be made to feel that they have a degree of power to change their own life and to change their own health. And like I say, so much science science is pointing to this. So, so we need to be updating these practices to go with it and move away from this fast fix approach because there's never really a fast fix, is there? You know, <laughs> it's, it's like a fast fix towards, you know, healing. And actually that just doesn't really happen. It's often this much deeper approach that's needed if you really mean to change the course of, of your life and your health, but it's totally doable. And once you learn to do it, once you're empowered with certain techniques, which are often incredibly inexpensive, you know, they're just things that you can do from home and in your everyday life, you start to really um, shift the whole narrative, you know, about yourself. And I think that's what's so vital for so many people and moving on into their pregnancies and afterwards as well um, and, and caring for their children, too. And in terms of the parent that they become as well. Definitely. And I think in terms of conception health, it's one of those things where we end up with a, we we kind of reach out for it when it's too late or we've yeah. already caused or there's already a problem rather than having that kind of preventative. I don't know if we've got a listener perhaps in their early twenties that knows at some point in the next yeah. decade, they may like to start a family. Actually, that's a really powerful time to start considering your conception health, although it's not the, in the immediate period 
rather than Mm -hmm. getting to that point where you're actively trying to conceive and it's been a couple of years and then you're problem solving when it feels really time pressured and stressful because all you want to do is have that positive pregnancy test so i think it's really useful to think of conception as as a woman at any age that knows you want to start a family in the future to start educating and empowering yourself at that point is is so powerful and i guess our dream gold standard Yes, absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up because I think, you know, with with my book, I'm, I'm guessing that the majority of of the readers will probably be drawn to it because they're in that process of conceiving themselves or they're about to start. As you've said, that's when most people will come across a book like this or start, you know, taking note in terms of what they're doing and try rearranging certain habits. But actually, you know, the the other intention behind this book is absolutely to reach those younger generations of men and women to talk about health in a very different way through a different holistic integrated lens where they start adopting this approach from you know i i'd argue even in their teenage years you know if they're um if they're reading books like this which you know i'd I'd love for them to be because it is all about taking control yourself and learning what to do and i think as a result of that you know we can become much better ambassadors for ourselves so if we look at things for example like endometriosis which i talk quite a lot about in the book and i and i look at various different conditions that might be a barrier to contraception to conception and you know the the issue there is as 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 you know that you know it can take up to 10 years to sometimes just diagnose. And so many women, you know, do um, get, well, either don't get listened to, or that it's made to seem as if it's just in their head and their periods aren't really as painful as they say they are, or some of their symptoms really aren't potentially as bad as they are, you know, or they get put on the pill very early on without that chance to really understand their own bodies and, and what's going on and the messages that they're their body is is sending to them. So I think we need a very different approach from a younger age so that women are able to advocate for themselves. And and actually, this goes for men too, um, and are able to, you know, say, look, you know, this is not normal for me. And I'm used to what is normal, or this doesn't feel quite right. And I do want this looked at and investigated. And I think if we had that approach, along with better education across, you know, the, the whole medical field in terms of recognizing some of these symptoms, then, you know, we'd, we'd solve an awful lot of issues and existing problems and allow people that opportunity to prevent some of the problems that can occur later when some of these conditions do progress and then affect your ability to conceive. So we stop having this fast fix reactive approach and instead move towards prevention right Mm -hmm. and you know there's there's models of this around the world where we know that healthcare systems that move and have made that shift towards prevention actually do generally have healthier societies because that is really the that the major approach and the major sort of change that we need to make in order to make that difference to people's lives. And and I don't think we've quite reached it yet. We're moving in that direction. Um, And I do see that with people and they're asking a lot more questions and people do want a different approach. It's part of the impetus that made me write this. But I think we need to be more insistent on it and actually encourage our healthcare providers to think differently and laterally as well. I love that. It's all about having that confidence. That actually, we are the experts in our own bodies and we know our normal and we, we get that instinct, don't we, when something's not normal. But I think it's really reassuring for listeners to hear. <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by Pregnacare from Vita Biotics. We all know how important it is to support our health when trying for a baby, during pregnancy and in the postpartum. Pregnacare vitamin and mineral supplements provide advanced nutritional support for every stage of pregnancy, before, during, and after. They include vitamin D and the exact levels of folic acid as recommended by the UK Department of Health. Pregnacare, expert nutritional care for pregnancy with you every step of the way. To find out more, visit www.pregnacare.com. 
a medical professional actually saying you can ask this, you can push that, you can question that, you can really advocate for yourself. I think that's a really powerful message coming from someone that that actually works frontline with patients. And one of the other things I'm really intrigued to ask you mm. is you mentioned endometriosis there, but in your in your practice and the work that you've done supporting families, what are some of the most common barriers to conception that you tend to um, see? Uh... I mean, I think there's there's quite a few. There, there can be a wide range of issues that people are affected by. So the most obvious things that, that can be barriers to conception, yes, are specific conditions that may have been diagnosed, such as endometriosis. Polycystic ovaries is another major one where um, ovulation isn't necessarily occurring as often as it should. Um, but in addition to which, there can be a whole range of other metabolic issues and problems. And this is what I mean by this multi-systemic holistic approach it isn't necessarily just about ovulation of course ovulation is important but ovulation is also reliant on all these other uh, systems going well within the body right your wider metabolism and actually also your mental health too so so there can absolutely be conditions on the male and female front that affect that process um, and you know with men it can be conditions that affect you know their ability to produce sperm number of sperm quality of sperm and so on um but taking that in in a in a sort of wider sense if you like if you were to ask me what some of the i guess less uh, less well-recognized causes mm. are towards that. I would say, actually, and this might surprise you, trauma. Wow. So that mental health aspect, that yes. mind-body connection. Yes, yes, yes. So this was, I think, even a bit of a shock for my publishers, I have to say, because I, I sort of, <laughs> when I started looking at specific patterns, you know, through, through my years of working with different patients, and I started to kind of pieced together um, as I went deeper into their histories that there were certain aspects that were coming out almost um, if you like behavioral patterns or personalities behind certain things that I was seeing um, and what started to become clear to me was that actually <clears throat> the way that our nervous system responds to situations and we know this because it's been documented um, in, in science and through research the setup for that actually occurs at a very young age. So depending on what's happened to you as, as a young child and thereafter, and actually going back even further, depending on what was going on in the womb. So whilst your mother was pregnant, what level of stress was she experiencing? What was she exposed to? What was going on for her in her life then, right? No one would really necessarily think to ask those questions. What kind of labor did she have? You know, what was going on during that point after you were born, you know, did you need neonatal intensive care or not? How how did your childhood progress? And and then your you know your young adult life. All of these things I have found have a crucial impact in terms of how regulated or dysregulated the nervous system becomes, and they leave what I call an epigenetic imprint. So in my book, I talk a lot about epigenetics. And just to explain that briefly, this is a whole new realm of science that is essentially showing us that the, the, the control that I'm talking about, which I so strongly believe we have, is actually very real because all of the things that happen to us in life and that we do in life have the ability to affect gene expression. So whereas we used to think that, you know, our fate was sealed by the genes that we've been dubbed. And, you know, in some cases, yes, there's a very strong imprint of that. But on the whole, actually, it turns out that that 98% of what was called junk DNA is actually really important because what it's doing is it's controlling the expression of these genes that we've identified and what they're actually doing. So that's really exciting because it's suggesting, again, that that power lies within us and that we can reverse some of those things that we initially thought we were dealt with and completely change the, the outcome of, of our health and, and potentially our whole demise. So when I talk about, you know, things that have happened to us in life, having this epigenetic imprint, I, I speak directly about trauma. And, you know, most people think that trauma is a, a really severe adverse event, like, you know, going through a war, 
um, you know, going through an assault, um, violence, that kind of thing. And absolutely, those are very extreme examples of, of trauma, which have very deep impacts. But actually, all of us experience trauma at some stage of our lives, because trauma also involves, you know, witnessing your parents going through a divorce or, you know, being really attached to your pet when you're younger and, and losing them and not having that outlet to express that grief. Right. And that's the other thing that and, and this also might might be something that, um, you know, a lot of people may be surprised by. But we now have evidence to show that emotional suppression, so being made to contain our emotions, being gaslit over our emotions, not having a healthy means of talking about them and expressing them has absolutely the same effects on our brain and bodies as trauma. Wow. So emotional suppression is trauma. Now think about how many people are conditioned through their entire life to suppress, mm. right? I mean, I know, and, and you probably relate to this, as a medical professional, that is drilled into you, right? From the start yeah, of your training. So many, in so many, you know, aspects, you know, you just have to, you're thought to just shrug it off and get on with it because yeah. otherwise you're showing that you're not coping or you're weak. Right. Or- you're not capable right. or not, not able. So yeah, 100%, I think yes. that will impact everybody listening for sure at some point. Right. And I think as a result of that, because we as societies are made to think that we shouldn't express, you know, um, this our emotions and this very real need all of us has to be able to do something with that. As a result of that, actually, it starts to have a similar effect to trauma, which is essentially affecting your, you know, your hippocampus, which I I talk about being this overseer of all of the different processes that are going on. So we talk about, you know, the HPA axis, which is the the connection between the brain and the adrenal glands, and also the HPG axis, the axis between the brain and the ovaries and testicles. So both of these are connected with the hippocampus. And if you're unable to process your emotions, or you're made not to process them because, you know, of something you may have been told, or it's forbidden to do that, you know, where you're growing up, or your parents aren't quite used to that, they themselves never grew up being able to express, and so they pass that down to you, this generational means of trauma, I talk a lot about that as well, and mother wounding, which is unprocessed trauma that's often held down the maternal line, and which actually gets passed on to us, Um you know, that has very real serious consequences. And some of those consequences as a result of affecting our nervous system, our immune system, our whole endocrine system, which is our hormone system, can absolutely sometimes manifest not just as conditions like endometriosis, fibroids, and so on, but also infertility. And and I think that's probably the biggest um, thing that I sort of draw attention to in this book, this emotional basis behind disease, effectively, mm-hmm. um, and and behind infertility that really I don't think has been explored anywhere near enough, but actually which has a huge impact and, you know, is, is something that a lot of people probably won't even be aware of. And that's part of the power, isn't it? Actually, we're unpicking an avenue that people may not have even considered, let alone explored or actioned when it comes to their conception health, that may just be that that key that fits in the lock that allows them to kind of progress. And, and listening to you talk then, it made even more sense why the conception plan is set up in the way that it is. And actually the power of, if this is an Im- having an impact on your fertility now, then my goodness, we all want to change that so that that cycle doesn't then continue into exactly. our future future generation. So it's it just makes it even more you know powerful and resonates even more the importance of optimizing that that preconception that conception health. Now we've talked, yeah. I guess, a little bit about some of the pillars that you focus on in uh-huh. the conception plan, but I found that mm-hmm. such a a beautiful and interesting way to kind of focus on fertility health in that kind of wholesome 360 degree approach and I know you break it down into physical emotional which we've talked quite a little bit about and spiritual and I just wondered if you could summarize I know we can't go into the full details because that's why it's an entire book's worth of knowledge and information (laughs) but if you could just summarize how each of these three pillars do have that impact on fertility health because what's really important as well is that the conception plan is science-backed and I think that's really key in this field because it's one of those where you can get into a complete google searching 
dangerous, conflicting rabbit warren. So actually being able to explore those pillars in a science-backed way is, for me, so exciting for, for women reading. Yeah, thank you for that, Pip. Um, I think that, yes, you're, you're right. These sort of three main themes, if you like, um, physical, mental, emotional and spiritual, um, were, were really important for me to include as part of this holistic approach, because I think we're, we're all used to focusing on, on the physical element, right? And a really great job has sort of been done with that. But what we're not used to is incorporating these other elements, especially that whole spiritual element, which is closely linked in with the emotional. Now, most people might consider some of that as um, as we would, you know, a little bit sort of too lateral, a bit too out there. They don't necessarily see the connection. But when we start looking again at some of the, the evidence behind, um, you know, what what the human body is made up of and how it communicates. So we're used to biochemical hormonal processes, but what we're not so used to discussing are energetic processes, right? Mm -hmm. And what's going on at that level. And actually, you know, it's a little bit bizarre that we're not, because if you think about some of the, the ways we used to diagnose conditions, you know, like EEGs and MRIs, um, you know, we, we are, what those methods are looking at are, effectively um the, the the different energies that are communicating within the body right and they're they're translating those into a picture of some sort that can be interpreted so what that tells us is that there is absolutely an electromagnetic field that exists you know with with the body so we're used to that being with the heart and with the brain but actually it exists wide wider than that and that this electromagnetic field has a very real impact on what is going on with other processes and means of communication and transmission within the body and the other thing that i think most people haven't necessarily been told and i don't think actually even many doctors are aware of is the fact that that, that something called the meridian system, which is this means of um, energetic exchange and communication, actually develops way before the arterial and um, the, the entire vascular system, right? So when we look at, again, through a science-backed approach, what is happening with these early stage embryos, it is that meridian system which is developing first. And to me, that's super fascinating because it's suggesting that there's almost like this energetic hologram or imprint that develops first, right? Which is supporting the rest of the body to grow and develop. And this to me is a really exciting frontier of medicine because for so many years, we've been conditioned to see alternative health as completely disconnected and dissociated from, you know, what we what we have come to know as traditional medicine, which is a little bit bizarre in itself, because actually, you know, the current Western techniques are fairly modern in themselves. And the traditional medicine was always with the alternative, right? It's just that we never necessarily had the science behind it. And now that we do, so to me, what's really exciting about this is being able to draw these two different approaches together and suddenly start to understand why some of these alternative therapies, one of the most obvious that people engage in being acupuncture, for example, which absolutely does work on your whole meridian system and energetic points within the body, why they can be so useful and why they can be done in tandem with, you know, traditional medicine as well. And I think we've really been missing that vital link and bridge. So, that's that's an area that I really, really wanted to address. And in particular, because I'm not sure if you see this as well, but with so many of, of the, the patients that I saw in the past, they would say to me, well, you know what, we, we reached a certain point and then we just thought, what the heck? We're going to try all these other things, you know, and go and see a shaman, go and, you know, <laughs> engage in whatever yeah. it is. Give anything a go and hope. Yeah. Right. It helped and we got pregnant. Now, obviously, I'm not saying that was the thing that necessarily made the difference. It's usually a combination approach. But what I am saying is that I do wish that people would engage in some of those practices and take them seriously earlier on mm. because they absolutely support all of the other physical elements, too. So I, I do talk a lot about that and extensively in the book. Um, but really with regards to the pillars, so these three main theme, themes of physical, mental, emotional and spiritual are woven into the five pillars of fertility, which I have divided into nutrition, 
um, exercise, um, toxin-free living, stress management, and sex and relationships. And that's because, again, when I was kind of piecing together all these different things that I was using in the past to help people to become pregnant, I just found that actually so many of those individual elements seem to fit one of those categories and that all of these pillars are super important when it comes to wanting to become pregnant. But also, I'd, I'd argue and say your wider health generally, being right? Healthy, 100%. <laughs> yeah. 100. And that's where right. it's so great that actually by following something like the conception plan, as opposed to trialing actual medication is you haven't got any side effects to worry about. Like it's all very mm. positive. The side effects are great, healthy outcomes for you as a human being. Um, and I guess it's that, that almost changing the way that we look after ourselves for life. You know, it's a, a like that lifelong learning approach about our health that is great for conception, as we said, for your health, your child's health, but actually it's, it's just a better way of being and, and respecting our bodies too. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And that it's transgenerational, as, as you pointed out earlier, you know, that these are habits and practices you'll cultivate and pass on to your children. But also they are habits that will make a vital difference, not just to your own health, but the health of your child and actually even the health of their children, because we know that actually the things that we do in life can have an impact you know, two further generations down the line. So again, it's that's exciting, isn't it? It's exciting is that really we have exciting, that. Which that's is really power. exciting. And, you know, of course, we can't change what's happened to our parents and grandparents, right? And the experiences that they had, but we can start with ourselves. We can start by being curious about what's coming up for us and wanting to engage in that sort of deeper level of healing um, in order to change the outcome for all of the other generations that are going to come afterwards who aren't necessarily then going to have to undo some of the stuff that we didn't really see ourselves. Mm, oh, I love that. that. That power of really opening our eyes up to to what we can do. It's just, yeah, I find it so exciting. Now, can we just touch on men? Because in, yes. a, in a heterosexual <laughs> relationship, it takes two, right? Um, yes. So where do men fit into this? Is their role equal to women in terms of matching oh. those kind of pillars and themes? Oh. Yes, 100%. So, you know, the book is designed to be followed by men. And there's actually a whole chapter for men there as well, which looks at particular conditions that might affect them. And then the whole approach to, to male fertility. And, you know, I'm so glad you've asked that question because I think so often men do tend to get sidelined. <laughs> they completely yeah. do. You know, they're mainly seen as sperm donors in the whole process. And I think as a result, um, that that has a really big impact on their mental health as well and, and the consciousness that they engage with when it comes to this. But of course, they're, they're a crucial part of the process, um, you know, in a heterosexual relationship. And I think that it's really, really important that men do take this as seriously as women and quite often. What I will bizarrely sometimes find is that, you know, women will say to me, well, can I just come to the appointment, you know, the initial appointment? <laughs> and, and you know, um, you know, my husband or my partner is just a bit too busy or, you know, I'm not quite sure that they're going to like be fully on board. And I will just stand there and go, absolutely not. <laughs> you know, the two of you must come together and must show that same level of commitment. And I actually think that's a really positive thing because when men learn that they are just as important and that actually, you know, what we talk about being the case for women here in terms of their health absolutely applies to men as well, that they've got, you know, some deep inner work and healing to do too and to address, then I think it just engages them on a whole other level, right? Um, and I think that also having that approach where men are seen as equals, it also means that, you know, the man and the woman can support one another in this process and can be, be there for each other because it can be a really tough and long and winding road. And, you know, it, it cannot just be that the responsibilities fall on one person. That really has to be shared. And I think that, you know, men suffer so much themselves because what I also see a lot is that we spoke about emotional suppression and repression. And actually that's something that affects a lot of men because they, men, yeah. right, right. <laughs> they really being conditioned to think that you can't open up about your emotions. I've had so many men say to me that they find it very difficult to open up to their partner because they don't want to burden them. They know that they're going through a difficult time 
um, themselves. And the last thing they want is to add to their burden. And they see themselves as protectors. They see themselves, you know, as needing to be totally invincible. And that has consequences Mm -hmm. because, first of all, can you imagine the mental burden of of carrying that, right? And and being there for your partner as well as for yourself, but actually feeling that you you aren't necessarily, you don't have the permission necessarily to talk about what's affecting you. You know, that's, that's huge. And I think the fact that there are thankfully more male led social media groups, which are growing, you know, there's recognition being thrown on this. Um, I think that's really, really important that men do have that same outlet to be able to discuss their own issues, to be able to move away from that really toxic narrative of, you know, we don't discuss our feelings because it makes us weak. You know, that's just a whole load of rubbish. And actually something that's been patriarchally conditioned and passed down through the generations, but has not served as well and has actually led to many, many problems for people, including their health. So I think we really need to start moving away from that and empowering men and allowing them, giving them that permission to really talk about their feelings and what's going on for them and also seek help for that, you know, because that's really, really important. Absolutely. And it comes down to that transgenerational trend again, doesn't it? You know, we've got a little boy, we've got a two-year-old little boy, and I don't want him to grow up in a society where he has to suppress his emotions and where yeah. he's impacted by mental health because he can't feel like he can't talk about it. So I think, again, we're on this we're on this kind of cliff edge almost of change, which is so exciting, but yeah. it does require us to break out of that mould a little bit and, and have that courage to actually speak out with with honesty about our thoughts and feelings and seek that help, which is exciting, but I know for some people also does feel uncomfortable at the moment. And we just have to hope that yeah. you know we'll we'll change that for the next the next generation, yeah. I hope. Yeah, I think we're almost there as well. I think the tide is definitely shifting. And, you know, we're recognizing some of these things that we've spoken about as an issue. Um, and, you know, this whole concept of people pleasing, um, which is another big topic that, that I discuss and how we've all been effectively led to believe that that's what we should be doing, especially for us as women. Right. You know, to please everyone else aside ourselves and to put ourselves last. But actually, again, recognizing that that has similar effects and impacts as trauma is is huge. And and I do think will change, hopefully, the you know, what happens with future generations and the level of health that they get to experience. I think when we can create these healthier containers where we stand up for ourselves and we do actually have these outlets to express, I think that can only lead to positive change, you know, for, for ourselves and beyond absolutely and I'm totally here for it I think it's exciting and mm-hmm. um, everyone that comes on the podcast Lisa, I ask Ooh. for three top tips and I don't know how you're going to condense it into three yeah. because I know that your book is full of top tips um, <laughs> but, if, but if you could try to give us three to finish us off so can I be really honest with you that actually this Wait. is um, a pet hate <laughs> question of mine <laughs> because I, I always get asked this, right? Um, and, and I think, you know, so much of what we see out there on TikTok and so on is about, you know, top tips condensed down. And I totally understand why people want that. But the reason I say it's it's a pet hate question of mine is because it's so hard to condense all of this into top tips. And also so much of my work is about moving away from that whole narrative of fast fix approaches. You know, I really don't want people to think that. Um, I'm very honest when I say to people, this is a process and this is a commitment, right? That may take a while. It's likely to take a while. You know, we're talking about at least three months worth of committing to the practices that I set out. And I do, you know, give a lot of practical um practices and behaviors and affirmations and meditation, so many things that you can combine in your life to help. Um, But it is about being really serious in that approach and not seeking to to have that that fast speed. Because I think that's part of the problem in a way, you know, that IVF is almost addressing some of that fast uh, fixedness, if you like. Mm -hmm. And people have been taught to think that that might be a cure for them. But you know what? IVF and assisted reproductive technologies don't make you more fertile. They might give you a baby, but they don't make you more fertile. 
And it's a massive, um, a massive journey. I think sometimes I know journey. often women I speak to that have been through IVF or similar, they, they don't quite realize until they embark on it, how invasive and intensive and the degree yes. of side effects. It's, it's not a yeah. decision that we should just jump to or, or take lightly. Absolutely. It's, it's a massive decision. It, it, Absolutely. And it needs far more counselling than, than currently happens. And I think that most people, quite honestly, aren't necessarily equipped to, to handle some of the things that can go on and occur. And some of these things actually happen later down the line after you've had your child. So I think, again, it's about going back to when we started the, the interview, changing that consciousness and approach. You know, IVF in itself is, is a wonderful set of, um, is, is a wonderful technique that we can use to help so many. But what we've got to do is make sure that we're using it for the right reasons and that actually all of the work that needs to be done does take place before that and is done in tandem with IVF. So I, I, you know, do absolutely say the conception conception plan isn't just for those who want to conceive naturally. Absolutely not. Even if you are having, you know, IVF, RUI, whatever it might be, that book is definitely for you because you should be using it whilst also um, having the treatment that you are. You know, it should all be done in tandem. So I guess because I'm going to try really hard to answer your question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it sounds like one of those tips is to be in it for the long haul, to stop looking yes. for those. You know, we've been yeah. conditioned to look for quick fixes, haven't we? You know, yeah. you know yeah. six week fat loss, all this rubbish that we see everywhere. Yeah. It's all fast, 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 isn't it? Yes, it is. And I'm going to go completely out of vogue here. But, you know, I, I stand by it. But yes, absolutely. Be in it for the long haul, be in it for the right reasons, mm. be in it prepared to commit and to go through a process. And I think, you know, one of the best things that we can really do is, is to get really curious ourselves mm. about what might be going on. Because I think especially for women, they have such a pronounced degree of intuition. I mean, you you I'm sure see that when it comes to labor and pregnancy, All the right? Time. Yeah, absolutely. It's so pronounced. And and yet again, we're we're sort of trained and, and cultured to 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 ignore it. And I would say one one other top tip would be absolutely to listen to those hunches, to listen to your intuition, to get really curious about the subconscious, right? And what might be going on there and to engage in a level of healing with that. So whether that is through a counselor, whether that is through an energetic healer, whether that is through exploring lots of other modalities, but getting really curious about what's being held within your nervous system. Right. And so much of the time when I ask this question to people directly about, you know, stress and how much stress they're handling and how much stress they may be, have gone through, it will shock you how many people say they're fine. Right. Or that actually it's all great. Every single time when I start to sort of deconstruct what's been happening to them, I am left in utter awe. Right. At how they have been conditioned to think that's all fine. <laughs> Because it's not like there's an awful lot of stuff that they've had to deal with, um, trauma in particular. And, you know, that's just never really been addressed because of this sense of just needing to get on with it. And our society is pushing us to just kind of get on with it, you know, sweep it under the carpet. And, you know, you know, you've got a job to do, whether that's, you know, a professional job or whether that's being a mother, a sister, a carer, whatever it might be. There's this sense of, you know, um, sucking it up. Right. Yeah. And and actually that I think is is something that we really have to start saying no to mm. and have to start getting inquisitive about with regards to well, where's that come from? And is that really authentic and aligned with with who I am? And how is that leaving me feeling? And have I really addressed all of mm. those things that have happened to me in my life? Or am I just kind of projecting them into various other aspects of my life and my health as well? So so I'd say. Those are probably some of the main things. Um, but also in amongst that, to learn to be kind and compassionate with yourself. Mm, that's beautiful. That's yeah. a message we we really need to shout from the rooftops, I think, more and more in society. Yeah. Yes, it really, really is. It's so important because so many of us beat ourselves up about doing this and doing that. And have I got it right? You know, I had to talk about this in the book. I, I once had a patient who blamed herself because she she drank a green smoothie. Right. And that she thought she might have had too many of those that led to some of the consequences. So, mm. so women constantly blame themselves, you know, whatever it is that they're doing. 
they're so hard on themselves. And, and I, you know, I'm testament to that too. I, I think there isn't a single one of us that hasn't done that. Mm. And I think we, again, need to move away from that and, and actually take stock of what we have done, what we are capable of, you know, the difference we make to people's lives and, and really move into that place of self-love, which mm. is, it sounds really corny-ish, but actually it's so important because it's only through learning to honor ourselves, our own needs, our own needs to express, our own needs to be, our own needs to be true, true to who we are, that we get to engage with ourselves and our health on a whole other level. And we start, that is really what creates that change in our behavior and in the way that, that we are. And, you know, it, it makes a huge difference to our lives and the relationships that we seek and most of all the relationship we have with ourselves so I'd say that's possibly um you know the biggest thing I'd love people to take away from this that level of coming into the self and learning to empower yourself with the tools that you need to reach that place of self-love to be able to make the best decisions for yourself that are not conditioned by the rest of society and, and what you're necessarily being told to do Oh, that is such a beautiful note to end on because I am a big fan of self-empowerment. Larissa, thank you so much for taking the time today to come and chat to us. And remember, if you are in this stage of your life or planning a baby at some point in your future, then check out the conception plan. Before I head off, I need to tell you something. 68% of you who listen to my show have not hit the subscribe button. So can you do me a favor? And if you've ever enjoyed listening, hit subscribe now. It makes a huge difference, helping me to keep bringing you episodes. And together, we can then reach and empower more women on this journey. If you are a pregnant or newly postpartum listener and are looking to have the healthiest, most positive and informed journey, the my exclusive Your Pregnancy and Your Postnatal Journey courses may be for you. I work with a select number of women in a bespoke way with unlimited access to me and my expert team for the most transformative level of support at this important time in your life. We only get one shot at getting this time right. So to get in touch and find out more, head to midwifepip.com. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel-Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.